10,000 angels. And they declare that he is worthy. Then the Bible says all creatures in the heavens and under the heavens and in the earth and in the seas, everything in the universe declares he is worthy. And we declare today Jesus is worthy of the praises. Praise his holy righteous name. Thank you, Pastor Greg, for giving me the opportunity to be with you and the Nortonsville Church of God. We love you and your family, and you're doing such a good job here at the Nortonsville Church, and God put you here just at the right time. God put you here just at a strategic time, exactly what this church needed at this time, and I congratulate you for navigating the church through some of the most troubling times in 2020 and 2021 that we have ever seen. But we're still here, aren't we? We're still worshiping. And so when the storm has come and storm is gone, well, we will still be here. Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So I just want to congratulate you and your leadership team for the work that you are doing. And it's good to see you. All of our families have been touched in one way or another by the pandemic, but uh, thank God for his amazing grace. We are still able to stand here today and to declare the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let me share with you that I have my first published book I brought with me today, published back in October, so it's just a few months old, still fresh off the press. <laughs> Got that new book smell to it. I'm excited about it. You know, back when I was in high school, I wrote a paper for English class, and the teacher just chewed me up and spit me out and uh, sent me home thinking I would never write again. And I always felt that I wanted to write a book, but I suppressed it because of what happened to me earlier in high school. Until just a few years ago, the Lord reminded me that he had given me the gift to do so, the calling to do so, and I would have to stand before him on the judgment day and answer why I didn't do it. Well, that shook me up a bit. And uh, so I have written a book, 90 stories that, uh, that will make you cry and make you laugh and be a blessing to you. I'll tell you the greatest testimony I received just for a few days ago, a lady who I've never met in North Dakota said she had a copy of my book. She had been serving the Lord earlier in life, but she drifted away from God. She says, as I read this book, she said, I rededicated my life to the Lord. I don't know what I could ask for any, any greater than that. So I give God praise for that. They're available. I know many of you already have purchased these. Uh, you can buy them from me today, $15. Or you can save a nickel if you want to buy them on Amazon, $14.95 on Amazon. <laughs> so uh, they are available for you here today. I'll help you with those items right after service. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. At the 9 o'clock service... I preach from John 19. Now we're going to go one chapter forward into John chapter 20. Beginning at verse 19, this is the occasion when the disciples were hiding behind locked doors and Jesus came into the room in his resurrected body. Then the same day and evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, 
peace be unto you. As the Father hath sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? The title that I want to use for this morning is Not Just Surviving, But Thriving. You may be seated. Thank you. Father, I humble myself before you and ask you now to lay your hand upon me and enable me to explain the scriptures and expound upon the scriptures in a way that is easily understood because truth sets us free. Let your truth be proclaimed today and move us from a church just surviving to a church thriving. We ask in Christ's name. And everyone said amen. When we see the disciples in this chapter, they are afraid and they are behind closed doors and they have a reason to be afraid. Their leader has been executed and they're next on the list. They are afraid for their lives. The Bible doesn't say this, but in my mind's eye, I see them biting their fingernails pacing the floor, wringing their hands. For personal reasons, I'm not going to say they were pulling their hair out. (laughs) The most courageous thing they could do was lock the door. They are afraid. I think a word that really describes them is the word disillusioned. Okay, Things had not turned out the way they had hoped. They had been following Jesus for three or three and a half years. They knew he was the Messiah. And they felt like that he was going to set up his kingdom in the earth at that time. Abolish the Roman Empire and set up his own empire. And they as his disciples were going to rule and reign with him. If I could modernize the terminology. They thought Jesus was going to be the next president. And they were going to be his cabinet members. But it didn't turn out the way they thought. And Jesus was killed and buried. And they were next on the list. And they're in a room surviving, holding on by the skin of their teeth. However, just a few turns of the page of the Bible and we see them in the book of Acts. Preaching the gospel, turning the world upside down. A thriving church. I have a question. How did they go from a church just surviving to a church thriving? I want to know how that happened. Because however it happened for them, we need it to happen for us. And it happened when Jesus in his resurrected body walked into that room and reminded them of some things they had forgotten. And I pray that the Lord would remind us today of these same things so that we as a church would not just hold on and try to survive through a pandemic, but that we would thrive at a time just like this because if the world has ever needed a thriving church, it needs one today. So let's learn how that transformation took place. Point number one. 
It takes a different perspective. How do we move from surviving to thriving? It takes a different perspective. Notice that Jesus gave them something different to look at in verse 20. When he said this to them, he showed them something, okay? He showed them his hands and his side, and whatever they saw, the Bible says, then the disciples were glad. Now, up to this point, they're not glad. Up to this point, they're sad because they had only been looking at certain things, but now they look at other things, and their whole attitude changes. If you had asked them before this encounter with Jesus, you know, what they were focused on, they were focused on the death of Christ. They were focused on nothing that it turned out like they had thought. Herod was dancing with glee. Jesus was buried. The disciples were next on the list to be executed. Everything was looking bad. But now Jesus walks into the room and proves he's not dead. He's alive. And he does so by showing his hands. Why was he showing his hands? Obviously, we know the answer. They were looking at the nail prints. And I preached on this at the 9 o'clock service. The spear that went into his side, it left a mark. He showed his side. And when they saw that the one they thought was dead was alive, now they have a different perspective. Wait a minute. Their leader is alive now. They had something different to look at. A change of perspective. Let me deviate just for a moment and go into the Old Testament because God had spoken to Abraham and said, you and your wife are going to have a child. But things didn't look so good. His wife was 90 and he was 100. Are they supposed to have a baby? I don't think so. Too much water has been under the bridge for all that. But his perspective was too small. Abraham was in his tent. I don't know how high the ceiling was, but let's just say, you know, six or seven feet high, whatever, eight feet high. But God says, come out from under the tent and look up at the heavens. Get a different perspective. And he looked up and saw thousands of stars twinkling in the night. And God said, your family, your Relatives, your kids and grandkids are going to be like the stars of the heaven. He had been inside the tent and his perspective was only as high as his head. He needed a new perspective. Step outside and look at the night sky. That's what Jesus is doing for these disciples. They're holed up in a panic room and he's saying, no, this is the wrong perspective. I'm alive. You're alive. Get busy being the church. Now, when we look at the perspective of today... Geopolitically, nationally, globally, it doesn't look very good. We've been dealing with a pandemic for nearly 12 months now. Lots of people have lost jobs. We've had deaths in the family. We're just now trying to get back up on our feet and kind of get moving again. But the prognosticators, you know, the news isn't all that great. Economy teetering a little bit. Gas prices are going up. Government's trying to help everybody out by sending a check. We're trying to prop up the people, trying to, trying to get a little bit of hope back in the nation. We got trouble going on in China, North Korea, and Russia, and Pakistan, and places abroad. But I got a different perspective for you. The church is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. And God put you on the planet Earth to be a hope dealer at a time when people need to hope the most. Clap your hands and celebrate that we have a different perspective. 
I chuckled when I heard the story of these two little boys on the playground. One was four years old. And he says to his newfound friend, how old are you? He says, I don't know. He says, you don't know how old you are? He says, no. He says, well, I can help you with that. He says, have you started having problems with the girls yet? He says, no. He said, then you're only three years old. <laughs> because by the time you get four, <laughs> you're going to start having problems with girls. Well, as you, as you come into your teenage years, you're going to have a whole different set of problems. And when you get um, married and have kids, then you have a whole different set of problems. And I'm just now finding out in my, in my mid and late 50s, as you get older, <laughs> you start having a whole different set of problems. And those that are much older than me will say the same. You're, you're not going to live long enough to be out of problems. You're always going to have problems, but I think our perspective, how do we move from being a church just surviving or a Christian just surviving to a church thriving? It comes with a different perspective. That's one of the keys it took for them, and it takes it also for us. Look not at the things which are seen. They're temporal. But look at the things that are not seen. They are eternal. Let's go to point number two, and that is it takes a definitive purpose. Now, this part of the conversation is so vital Jesus said to them again, peace be unto you. Now notice this next statement. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. It's the same sentence. There's just a comma that separates the first phrase from the second. The first phrase is the mission of Jesus. The second phrase is the mission of the church. And he puts his mission and our mission in the same sentence, parallel, side by side, with the same amount of importance. As the Father sent me, I also send you. So let me just ask a question. Was it important that the Father send his son Jesus into the world? Obviously, yes. Was it important that Jesus come to earth? Yes. Was it important that Jesus die on the cross? Yes. Was it important that he raised from the dead? Yes. Yes. Eternally important. In the same phrase, Jesus looks at this little church that's quarantined, holed up in a little panic room with the doors locked and compares their mission with his as the Father sent me. I also am sending you. Is it important for the church to go into the world and share the good news? It is just as vital as the mission of Jesus. So we can't remain a quarantined church biting our fingernails and twiddling our thumbs and just hoping the Lord comes back soon. We are here on purpose. We are here as a vital part of the mission of God to win the world at a time when it needs it the most. Your work is vitally important. Therefore, a while by government mandate, we had to shut our churches down. Thankfully, they've reopened in uh, at least in limited ways. Back March next last year, I had 11 consecutive weeks of cancellations. Now, I like spending time at home, but that was a little bit too much time at home. <laughs> I had 11 weeks cancellations at home. I thought, you know, how am I going to do ministry? The churches are shutting down. Once in a while, 
a pastor would call on the phone and said, just sit at your table at home with a camera and video a sermon and send it to us. And I did some of that. That's okay, but it's not quite the same. Then I was invited to a church and they put me in a Sunday school classroom by myself with a camera on a tripod and just said, preach in that camera and we're going to record it and show it to our church on Sunday. Not a single person in the room just preaching to a camera. I mean, that's okay, I guess. That's okay. But I like looking folk eyeball to eyeball when I preach. And it just feels good to be back in a worship service where we can be together. We need one another. Watching at home online, is, it's, a great, it's a great thing to do when you can't do the real thing. But being together like this, we need one another. And the world needs a thriving church with a definitive purpose. Someone was fussing at Billy Graham because of his straightforward preaching. And they said to him, you're going to set the church back a hundred years. Is that what you want to do? He says, no, I want to set it back 2,000 years. <laughs> he was trying to emphasize the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read a book by Lamar Vest, one of our former general overseers, and there's such a pointed question. He asked it, leaped off the page at me. He says in his book, can our kind of church reach our kind of world? That's a good question. That's a loaded question. Can our kind of church reach our kind of world? In some local churches, the answer would have to be no. I think at Nordsville Church of God, I can say yes. Why? Why can our kind of church reach our kind of world? We know our purpose to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have a definitive purpose. We know that we have a vital mission, and our mission is bigger than our building. And if COVID didn't teach us anything, it taught us that our, our mission is bigger than our building, and our harvest is bigger than our neighborhood. And for a while, we were having parking lot church. I mean, that was good, but our mission is bigger than a parking lot. Our mission is as big as the world. I read of a true story of a woman in Biloxi, Mississippi, that was suicidal and had decided to jump from a bridge. A man was observing and saw her leap to her death. He couldn't stand the thought of it, and he jumped in after her without taking the time to realize that he couldn't swim. She saw him drowning, and she swam over to where he was. And rescued him and drug him up on the land and pumped the water out of him, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And she called, somebody call 911. The rescue came and delivered this man. And she told the story of what had happened. And the writer, the reporter said, it wasn't the man that saved her life. It was a purpose that saved her life. She had a reason to live, save somebody else. And I think part of the time when we're sulking in the four walls and biting our fingernails because we're only thinking about ourselves. But when our perspective is bigger and our purpose is bigger and we realize that out there are people who are suicidal, people that are dealing with panic attacks, people that are dealing with depression, people that are dealing with addictions, and they need what we've got and we have the answer. We have a reason to live. We have a reason to thrive and be the church. 
Let's clap our hands and celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for a purpose on the inside. Thank you, Lord. And then third and final, it takes a dynamic power. Before Jesus left the room where the disciples were, he finished by saying this in verse 22. He breathed on them and then said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this scripture has always intrigued my interest when it says that he breathed on them. First, I'd like to know how he did that. And second, I'd like to know why he did that. As to how he did it, I'm not sure. Did he go over to Peter, Simon Peter, and breathe on him personally, receive the Holy Spirit, John and James? Receive the Holy Spirit? Or did he step back at a distance? <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he did it. It doesn't really matter how he did it. It matters that he did it. The real question is, why did he do it? Couldn't he simply have uh, kept his breath to himself and simply said, Receive the Holy Spirit? Would not that have been just as effective Certainly he had some reason to breathe on them. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, he had a reason. He was demonstrating what was about to happen in their lives. You see, he was Hebrew-Jewish. They were Hebrew-Jewish, okay? So they understood this concept that breath is the same as spirit. So when he went, he was saying, this is what you guys need. Here you are in this room with the doors locked, pacing the floor. You, you got a new perspective now. Your leader is alive, and, you, and you've got a new mission. you got to reach the world, but there's one thing you're missing, and here's what it is. You need that. You need the wind. You need the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Just a few days later, they were in an upper room praying, and they heard something that sounded like, and they looked up and saw a ball of fire that divided into 120 flames and sat upon each of their heads. And what they were doing now was receiving, fulfilling this wish, this command to receive the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be a thriving church, then we're going to be a spirit-filled church. A church without the breath of God, a church without the wind of God, a church without the spirit of God is only a church trying to survive. But a church that is filled with the inhale and the exhale of God, filled with the spirit, now then we are a church that is ready to reach the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Certainly, those Hebrew disciples, those Jewish disciples, they made the connection. When God created Adam, and he was lying on the earthen floor like a mannequin, he had a heart that had never beat, he had lungs that had never breathed, he had nerves that had never twitched, a stomach that had never enjoyed its first bite of food. What was it that brought Adam to life? God didn't splash water in his face. God didn't hold him up by the heels and swat him on the backside. God breathed into him. And man became 
Jesus was doing with this weak, frail, anemic church. He was breathing life into them. And I say to you, my friends, in 2021, the world needs a life-breathing, vital, thriving church. That's why your pastor designated a day like today three consecutive services to breathe some life into us. That's why there's discussions of small groups and Wednesday meetings and other things we're trying to do to facilitate the church. That's why, because we want to be a thriving church on point and on mission that is doing the work of Jesus Christ in the earth. When the disciples were filled with cloven tongues of fire, they went out into the world, set on fire for God. Did you know that when the Olympics, the Greek games originally started in Athens, Greece, that one of the games was a relay race where they didn't just pass a baton from person to person, but a lit torch from runner to runner. And it wasn't good enough to cross the finish line with the torch. The torch had to be lit when you cross the finish line. I think Paul alludes to this when he's writing to Timothy, talking about the faith that was handed down from the grandmother to the mother, Lois and Eunice, and finally handed down to Timothy. It's like a baton that is being passed from generation to generation. This Pentecostal fire of 2,000 years ago that fell in the upper room and ignited a weak church and turned them into a thriving church has been passed down to our generation. And it's our turn to run with the torch. The Olympics took place here in America a number of years ago in Atlanta, Georgia. And they brought a fire on a torch from Athens, the original fire, the Olympic flame. And they brought it to the west coast and they gave it to relay runners who took it all the way across the nation and finally lit the torch in Atlanta, Georgia. Some of the relay team were joggers, runners, bicyclists, etc. This one man in the state of Washington had the privilege of carrying the flame for a short time. He was a bicyclist. And they fastened the mother flame from Athens, Greece, on a torch on his bicycle. And he was riding proudly and went across this bridge that had some loose gravel. And he fell off his bike and his bike hit the pavement and the torch hit the pavement and the fire went the Olympic flame went out. <laughs> Riding behind him in a white van were some of the caretakers of the Olympic flame. They got out of the van and picked this bicyclist up and brushed him off and got him back on his bicycle and took the dead torch to the back of the van where they still had a piece of the mother fire and relit his flame and got him going forward again. I can relate to that bicyclist because there have been a few times in my life when I've got some skint knees and a few failures and lost the fire. But I know how you can get it back again. Whew. 
One breath of God can reignite and refire the spirit inside of us so that we can get back up on our bicycles, get back up on our feet and move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take it to that final slide and let me give you a quick review of how you move from a surviving church to a thriving church. It takes a different perspective. It takes a definitive purpose. And it also takes a dynamic power. This is where our prayer time comes into play. Would you stand with me, please, as the musicians come and take their places? I want to pray a prayer over the church, over you. That we would be a thriving church. That we would be a church set on fire. A church that has survived a pandemic and is going out into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'll pray the prayer here, and you can stand there, but I want you to remain engaged with what we're doing. This is not just me praying for you. I'm praying with you because I want your prayer to be a prayer that says, Lord, I, I need what those disciples needed in that room. I, give, me a, give me a better perspective and remind me of my purpose. And fill me with your spirit. So you join your prayer with my prayer. Let us pray about this together. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. We see ourselves in this story as disciples afraid, quarantined, weak and anemic. But we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for the pastor. I pray for the leadership team. I pray for this whole church, those that are with us and those that are not with us today. That everyone would be included in this prayer. Breathe on us. Breathe on us, Lord, breathe on us and fill us with your spirit until we are set on fire, filled with passion, until we see the world with your perspective and we see the sinner the way you see the sinner, through eyes of mercy, that we see a hurting world the way you see a hurting world with a helping hand extended. Lord, we know that families are bereaved because loved ones have died. And people are dealing these days with fear and paranoia, panic attacks and anxiety. Fill us with your peace so that we can deal peace to others. Remind us of our mission and how important it is. And although we can't always carry the gospel to every place in the world, we can carry it to this place, our place of work, our neighborhood, our web of relationships, our Facebook friends. Help us to influence those we can with the precious time that we have 
Lord, teach us to number our days so that we will value every day. We will value every, every moment and realize that this is an eternal moment. That we can make a difference in someone's life for all eternity. Would you join me right now in just lifting your hand or lifting both hands into the Lord? As God, we ask you for a fresh breath right now. Breathe on us. Breathe on us by your Spirit. Breathe on us with the Ruach of God, the breath, the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Come, O oh Lord, and breathe upon your people. Breathe on us. Fill us with life. Fill us with your Spirit. Ignite us with a holy flame and then use us for your glory to be a vital witness everywhere we go. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen, amen, amen. I don't want to get too lengthy in what I'm saying today. But in the Summer Olympics this past year, in the women's relay race, the baton was dropped between the second runner and the third runner. In the transitioning portion of the track where they make the handoff, it was not a clean handoff. And the baton was dropped. And the third runner had to stop and look around, find the baton, pick it up. They came in last place because of a missed handoff. I just want to say to the older generation, it is our responsibility to firmly place this lighted torch, this, this mission, into the hands of a younger generation. And I see that happening at the Nortonsville Church. Most of these young adults standing behind me were little toddlers when I first started coming to this church. Am I right? Little kids, two, three, four, five, six, eight years old. And now, look at them. You know, it really makes me feel old. They're married and have kids. Get out of here. And now there's another generation that we have to place this mission into their hands and make sure that they are filled with the Spirit and thriving as a church going forward. Praise God. I got revived in my own sermon. Praise God. We have just a few minutes before 12, and we have just enough time to pray for you if you need a special prayer. I have a mask. I can put it on right here. We're going to practice social distancing. We know how to do that these days. One can come over here, or one or two here, one over here. We... We can accommodate a few people around the altar. If you say, I don't want to leave here without a special prayer. I just need prayer today. 
Maybe you're going through something in your family, your job, your health. Dealing with some pressure. Maybe you want to stand in for somebody today. The pastor's prepared. I'm prepared. We're ready. The staff is ready. We can pray for you. So while they sing, just make a step forward. I see some that are, that are coming already. But we'll wait on you. Come on. If you want to special prayer.